Welcome to the Rectify Podcast, your go-to marketing destination for direct-to-consumer brands. I'm Sandy Dedean, your host, and I'm thrilled to be your guide on your brand's growth journey. In each episode, we'll demystify the DTC marketing landscape, providing practical advice you can implement right away with the help of industry experts and remarkable founder guests. Whether you're a seasoned entrepreneur or just starting out, this podcast is your compass to navigate the ever-evolving world of D2C marketing. Get ready to tap into a wealth of knowledge, harness your brand's full potential, and join the ranks of unstoppable D2C success stories. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of my episodes. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Rectified Podcast. Today's guest is Sarah Beltin, founder of Barumba Play, a kids play couch company. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Sarah, not many people know this about you, but you were a tax accountant and you worked in your family business and then you turned into an e-commerce brand owner and created a kids play couch company. Tell us a little bit about this phase of your life. Yeah, the plan was always to stay in accounting. I spent 12 years in accounting and was going to take over my father's firm one day. And I really enjoyed working with small and medium businesses. And that was that was the plan. That was the path. Um, mm. It really came down to the pandemic happening in March of 2020 when it was tax season. My kids were one and three years old, so they needed me. And my tax season clients needed me and all the business owner clients whose businesses were shutting down needed me and my employees and taking the firm remote. And it was too much. And I really just tried to keep going and keep going. And I ended up getting completely burnt out and having to walk away from accounting. And what made you create a kids play couch company? Like, how, d- how did you get the idea? I mean, honestly, at the time, what happened was I thought, you know, I'm so burned out from accounting. Who would hire me? What would they hire me for? I honestly felt unemployable. Yeah. So I really thought, I think I have to start a business because who would hire me? Um, and I, I sort of narrowed it down because, you know, schools were closed, lockdown was going on. And it was it was sort of like, OK, I need something I can do online. So I sort of backed myself into this like, OK, I think I have to do e-commerce angle. But I ended up with my product because of my kids phone blocks. So this was okay. something even earlier I had been talking with my sister about, like, if these little phone blocks were big, it would be so much fun. And it turned into like actually making them. So I just played around with the phone blocks on our house and I took a bunch of pictures and was able to get a drawing done. And then I just found a retired upholster on Instagram to make me one. And that was really how it started. All right. But these products are like really big. Like I've seen pictures. I didn't see the product uh, live, but I've seen pictures. They're really big. Like you need the space to like put them and then play them. But they seem to be really fun. But having a product of that size is challenging, right? So how did you manage? Like, how do you ship them? How did How did you decide to create something as big and then go through all the challenges of having a big product rather than sending to people a small box with a small item in it? Yeah. So originally it wasn't a couch. It was just these big foam blocks. And then this play Mm -hmm. couch trend was sort of taking off at the same time. And when I heard about that, I thought, okay, actually, let's make let's change these configurations to kind of work like a couch because you could put them away nicely and also use it as a couch. So that became the next kind of evolution of it. So it had Mm. an easy way to put away. And then we actually manufacture them on bed-in-a-box equipment. So if you're you're familiar with all those mattress companies, they kind of compress the foam and they put it in a roll so it fits in one box. So it's the same machinery. 
So we just lay all the foam pieces out, flatten it, roll it up, and stick it in the box. So it can actually come in one little box. It just can't go back. It's not a very big... It's not a very, very big uh, box that we, people are going to receive in their houses. No, it's not like no. you're receiving <laughs> furniture where you're getting a huge couch is coming in the door. Yeah. It's literally yeah. like a three feet tall box. Mm. All right. This is pretty cool. Uh, did you have any difficulties like creating, you know, getting the quality right or getting the designs right? You know, it's something that you're doing for for the first time. And you, you're not a designer, you're a tax accountant, which has nothing to do with, you know, product design, etc. So how did you manage all that? Like, how did you made it in a way that at the end you have a product that's actually working and has good quality, etc., etc.? Sure. When I decided, okay, I think I'm going to make a business out of this, I got samples made from a variety of manufacturers because I wanted to obviously see the quality and make sure the relationship was good and communication was there. So I ended up picking one, going through everything. And two weeks before I'm about to place my order, they told me they have no capacity. Their factory was basically full. They wouldn't even be able to make it for five months. And it's like, oh my God, I was about to place my order. My website's about to launch as pre-order. So uh, thankfully my plan, my kind of uh, partner B like I, I was kind of worried about this because it was also the pandemic, things closing everywhere. Yeah. So I had sort of lined up a backup partner for myself. So I ended up going to my backup partner and placing my first okay. order through them. So I ended up actually working overseas at first because in the beginning mm-hmm. when I tried to make it here, I didn't even have a website. So the companies here just ignored me. Nobody would take my call. And on top of that, there was a phone shortage. So mm-hmm. there wasn't yeah. foam and I was just ignored. And I sort of heard from a variety of people, they had to earn their way to coming back to Canada, have a bit of a track record. And that was true for me as well. So I started with working overseas. And then once I had a website and reviews and could talk about foam, um, I was able then to get a manufacturer here and be Mm. able to start making them in Canada. This is very interesting. Like people say, you know, we should do things here in Canada, etc. And then... No, if you're not known, nobody will will work with you. We also just don't have that much industry here. Like there's so many yeah. people I know with businesses that want to make it in Canada, but it doesn't, yeah. it's not possible. We don't have the skill. We don't have the True. equipment. True. It doesn't exist unless you create your own, you know, facility, which is not something that, that you would want to do. Um, Sarah, tell me a little bit about your first client. Who was the first person who bought from you who's not... A family member or a friend, like just someone out of the blue who said, oh, my God, I really need this. Let's buy it. Let's buy Burma. So what I actually did before I had my inventory was I had a bit of a toy testing program. So I had my couple samples Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I would let families try them out. So I did start with some people that I knew in the beginning and then moved on to strangers online. And I would drive a play couch in my car to their house, let them play for a week give them, you know, a survey to fill out to get feedback. Was the phone good? What do they think of the shape? They also would send me pictures and videos and I'd ask for a review. So part of it was to get that user-generated content before I launched, but also Mm. people got to try the product out. So this way, on the day I launched, there was already people who had tried it out that wanted to buy. So right away, the second my site went live, I had sales coming in. And so the first couple who were there waiting happened to be some of the toy tester families that wanted their own. Mm. This is a pretty good strategy. I think that you already tested the market. It's not like 
you were working in secret and then all of a sudden you put a website out and then nobody's buying because that's what happens usually with a lot of e-com brands. Um, but how did you find these, how did you get these random people that you don't know to actually say, okay, I want to test it, you know, like I want to play with, with this. I posted Especially that on Facebook groups like mom groups and things like yeah, that? Yeah, I think it was mom groups. Maybe it was phone groups, but I just posted, hey, mm -hmm. in Toronto, who wants to be a toy tester? And people wrote to me. Ah, pretty interesting. Because also you launched during a pandemic. So people were also scared of like touching things or seeing new people, you know, the whole deal. So I think uh, what happened with you is pretty amazing that they accepted and, you know, um, all of that. So... The minute you launched, you already had orders coming. And then how did you, what did you do after that? Like, how did you maintain the momentum? How did you build, you know, on, uh, how did you build the brand so that you always have all of these orders coming in? So there was a lull because I had all the people ready to buy who bought, but then it's of course, oh wait, you need to keep getting more yeah. people and yeah. what channel is going to work and starting again. And the summer is a slower time because we're more mm. popular for holiday time in the winter months. But in the summer months, people are outside, they're playing, yeah. they're buying outdoor toys. So there was a natural lull through the summer uh, yeah. anyways. And, and then in the fall, it, it picked up again. But I had to learn Facebook ads. I never had an Instagram account. <laughs> I didn't have TikTok. So just sort of going platform by platform, posting mm. and trying to figure it out, doing ads too, figuring that out. So you do, so now you post organically and you complement it with ads. Yeah, a bit of both. Okay. okay. And do you, do you also have other ways of marketing this or you just rely solely on social media? Mostly social media, a little bit here and there of other things. Like we did the baby show last year. We've gotten some mm. PR, but they're sort of more one-offs. Um, yeah. Mostly it's a social media thing. Mm -mm. Um, a question that many new businesses um, struggle with, and it's the how to fund these things, you know, because you're a product based business. It's not a service. You can't just start and you have your laptop and you're working. You need to pay for things before even buying them. Or sometimes they do like a campaign. They sell before they make or something like that. How did you do this? Like, how did you fund it? Was it out of your own pocket? Did you get like an investor, a loan, et cetera? Like, how did you do this? So I funded it myself and put that deposit for my inventory. And then I opened up the pre-sale. So at least by the time I had to make the final, you know, 60% payment, I yeah. had been selling to have the money coming in, mm. help pay for the rest of the inventory. Yeah. But it was expensive. I was, there was a little bit, I was scared. I also didn't know at all how shipping worked. I did not know you could get part of a shipping container. I thought you had to buy a whole container. So I ordered oh. so much inventory because I did, I literally did like met, like how big is a container? What's the volume divided by my box size? How many boxes fit on a container? And that's how much I ordered because I thought I had to. So I spent way more money on inventory. Mm. But it was a good thing in the end because it forced me to sell it, which sort of yeah. up my business right away to a higher level. Because if I had been really conservative and ordered a small amount, I think I would have grown a lot smaller <laughs> and I would have not wanted to, you know, put the money in. But because I thought I had to, it put me in this position to have to sell yeah. it right away. 
Yeah, I agree. It's a bit scary. Like I've worked in product-based businesses and I used to do these orders with containers and stuff, so I'm familiar with it. But uh, it is scary because you send out a large amount of money without knowing if the product is going to sell. So uh, especially if you're alone and you're not like an established business and demand is coming, you know, all of that. So um, that was uh, that was like a courageous thing to do. In working um, with a new manufacturer like that, I didn't know mm-hmm. if I could trust them yet. I didn't know how exactly. to send a wire. How do you bring product in? Like, I, it was all very new <laughs> out at the same time. Yeah, it is. It is quite challenging, especially like you're not surrounded by people like you were. You probably had a very large network, but it, in the tax in the accounting world and you didn't you don't have a large network of entrepreneurs who can help you out uh, and be with you and around you and give you some advice especially in the pandemic like you can't just go out and meet people and be in events and stuff like that um today um how do how do you deal with this do you have did you manage to have like groups of people who are like you that that can help you out and you can help them out and things like that So interestingly, even though I didn't necessarily have a lot of entrepreneur friends, I had clients that I worked with in accounting. So I had a client who worked with freight forwarding and a client who worked in e-commerce. So I was able to use those relationships to be like, how does how does this work? Um, And then there was nothing in person, obviously, but really online. I made some friends over Facebook groups, over LinkedIn, that we would do Zoom calls that I now know in person. So I I ended up making new friends through those platforms. Yeah. I think it's pretty interesting because uh, before the pandemic, uh, we could only meet people outside. If you sent messages to people, it was like this weird person who's like sending them messages on LinkedIn or something like that. And although it isolated us in a way, but the good part of it is that it became so normal to meet people online and become friends. And the same thing happened to me. I have a lot of friends through Instagram and through LinkedIn and it just it just became like the new norm, which uh, which is like the good part of um, the pandemic. Uh, let's go back to uh, your brand. Do you ever think like if someday you want to grow this thing exponentially or become like this big toy company, do you think about going to VCs or angel investors or anything to just like take your brand to a whole other level. I know a lot of entrepreneurs have difficulty letting go a little bit. And if these people come in, um, it becomes like you're no longer the person. You're, you might still work there, but you're no longer, you know, the, the, the number one person in the company. Are you open to such an idea or is it just like, no, no way I want to be the, the only owner? For this company, I want this to be a lifestyle business only. I don't actually want to grow this business huge Mm. and have tons of employees or VCs, any of that. That is not the goal of this business for a few reasons. One is that my kids are still young. And when I worked in accounting, I was working taxis and I missed dinner every night. I was working weekends. I really couldn't be around. And now I set my own schedule. I can be home for dinner. I can take them to their activities. So for this phase in life, I'd rather have a lifestyle business. Mm. And part of it is I kind of fell into doing this, but it's not like my my life's passion was toys specifically. So mm. and I get that entrepreneurial itch. There's so many good business ideas that I think I would have fun starting again one day 
with some yeah. other ideas simply for the fun of yeah. it. And I've learned a lot of things along the way, what I would do differently next time. And like my product is a giant, expensive one-time purchase. Yes. Then, so now I would get something, <laughs> something smaller and lighter that you would buy again. So I wouldn't make the same decisions on a company that I think had the potential to grow bigger. So this is mm. my like baby practice company that okay. my lifestyle business. And I think my goal, I'll still do new products, but I actually think I want to figure out how to remove myself from the business while keeping it going. I, I was mm. thinking about that recently. Do you know the book Ema? Sort of about making different roles in the business. I, yeah. think everyone I, I didn't read it, but I heard about it. Yes. So sort of taking that approach of it's not just me, but I'm putting people in the roles. Now I've been doing it mm. a couple of years and kind of firing myself to see what can I do with this if I remove myself a little bit and keep the machine of it going. Mm -mm. I really love it because all the entrepreneurs that I talk to, they, they want to grow. They want angel investors. They want this. They want that, you know, and you're more like, oh, let me practice with this. And then when my kids are older, I'm going to do something else, which, uh, which is pretty amazing. And I do believe that doing, being an entrepreneur as a whole how can I say this? It's like, you'll learn a lot. Like people say, oh my God, uh, in the corporate world, they send you to trainings and you learn from people and this and that. You can't do that when you're an entrepreneur. A lot of people argue about that with me. And I'm like, you don't know the amount of things that I had to learn in the, in, throughout the years uh, of doing things by myself because nobody's teaching me and I'm going and learning from my mistakes and I'm seeking information and this and that. So you just become this person who like is so creative in, in finding the solutions and all of that. And I like how like you're putting this thing into perspective. You talked about smaller toys. Is it something that you are planning to do in the future for your brand? Yeah, I have a few toys half developed. All right. That I'm working on. Um, and I have a frame coming out soon. And then I have one fabric toy that will launch next year. So I still want to build that product development muscle and do more products and have fun with it. But I have no intention of turning this into some eight-figure yeah, giant yeah. toy company. And yeah. product businesses are expensive. And then you need more mm. people and more money for inventory. Yeah. And interest has gone up that I'm honestly just not interested <laughs> in building that type of business. That's the tax person talking that the, the interest has just gone up. But yeah. It's perfectly true. Um, I'm curious, are these toys foam or is it like something completely different? No foam. I don't, no I don't want to do more. <laughs> I want small and foam. Right. So um, one uh, other thing, you're selling this direct to consumer on your own e-commerce website, but these products can also be something for like kids playgrounds or schools or something like that. Are they available for schools? Do you sell them to, like? wholesale let's say instead of selling it direct to people to their home i don't do wholesale but schools daycares places like that do buy it they buy it from the website directly mm. though okay and it's popular among this category of people it, it depends on where the school is because some schools have to buy from certain you know specified vendors others can buy from anywhere so it depends yeah. where the customer is if they're allowed to buy it from us yeah all right perfect Sarah, what is the one thing that you, that you tell our audience? They're mostly direct-to-consumer brand uh, founders like you. What is the number one advice that you give them in order for them to keep going and, you know, keep pushing and pushing? Because 
it's it's a roller coaster ride and it's the highs are very high and the lows are very low and it's entrepreneurship so what 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 would you say to them part of it would be i think as long as you keep going you can't fail and it's sort of like there are going to be hiccups there's going to be times you made mistakes and lost money but as long as i'm keep going forward even if that direction changes a bit i haven't mm -hmm. failed i've just my path is, you know, changing. I'm still moving forward. But the other part, and this is the accountant in me, is to not ignore numbers and margins. Yeah. So, yeah. so many people, when I was on the other side, they don't do their bookkeeping. They just come up out of thin air what their price should be. And I saw what happens and the mistakes people make. And businesses die when they run out of money. And how they run mm -hmm. out of money might be different, but they die when they run out of money. And I think not paying attention to that is a huge mistake. Yeah. That's true. Many, many product-based businesses, um, the founders are more like creative people. They care about their product, but they don't know much about the business side of it, whether it's the numbers, finances or marketing or strategies, anything that they need to know about. And that's a really good advice. Another question is concerning you know, your energy, your momentum. Like, How do you keep going? Sometimes when bad things happen or sometimes when you do, 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 and then you don't see any immediate result, you tend to get discouraged and we all go through that. How do you keep the momentum going and pushing forward and forward? Well, for me, one important thing when I started this was not tying my identity to the company because I did that mm -hmm. in accounting. I did that very young. I'm an accountant, Sarah, the accountant. And when I burned out and got depressed, I was very lost because we were all sort of the same identity. So now Barumba is there and I am Sarah who runs Barumba, but I am not Barumba. There is a separation there. So I can view it at a bit of a distance that if something's going on, that's that's OK. Um, and I also literally made a list at one point of things that give me energy and things that take my energy and try and, you know, do more in one column and not in another. So now when I am down, I know go get fresh air, exercise get in the water, whatever it is that can help kind of mm. get my energy up and give myself permission to take a break. And if it's a day I'm not motivated and doing much, stop sitting at the computer, like let listen to yeah. my brain and do something different. Mm. I love this. I love this. Like every single person has a different way of coping with it. But in general, yes, taking a break and just like disconnecting from it. And I really love the idea that you didn't actually link your identity to your business because we tend to do that. I do that too. I'm a victim of, of that thing, but I'm trying to distance myself from it uh, also. Sarah, this was a very nice conversation and we're towards the end of this episode. And I usually like to ask my guests a series of three questions. Um, are you ready? Sure. So what would your friends describe what you do for a living? Selling fun toys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Uh, what is it one thing that your toys in this situation did for a client that you didn't expect? The physical therapy aspect of it. So many families oh. buying it, buy it as a physical therapy tool. And they and I get emails. Our child learned how to crawl up on the couch. They're developing their muscle tone. So really that whole, like, there's a lot of occupational therapists that recommended it. I didn't see that coming. Wow, and it's really yeah. being used in therapy a lot. That's pretty amazing. Uh, you you created something to play and then it became like something also that's beneficial for their health. I really love this. Um, question number three, is there a book that changed your life that you would recommend to our audience? 
So there's a book called, I might be screwing the title up a little, but uh, Never Lose a Customer Again by Joey Coleman. And that book really changed my mindset um, about customers and letting them become advocates and sort of not forgetting them after the sale. And I just found it a really insightful, accurate Mm. book. Yeah, I I am familiar with that book. It's a pretty good one. Uh, Sarah, tell us, where can they find you uh, and how they can buy your product? So the website is barumbaplay.com and we're Barumba Play on every channel you look at. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast and to all the listeners, I'll be back next week with a new episode.